0: Section 3 of the Good Dog Book. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. A Dog of Flanders, Part 1 by oida Nello and Patricia were left all alone in the world. They were friends in a friendship closer than brotherhood. Neno was a little Adrinonus. Patricia was a big Fleming. They were both of the same age by length of years, yet one was still young and the other was already old. They had dwelt together almost all their days. Both were orphaned and destitute and owed their lives to the same hand. It had been the beginning of the tie between them, the thirst bond of sympathy, and it had strengthened day by day, and had grown with their growth firm and indissolvable, until they loved one another very greatly. Their home was a little hut on the edge of a little village, a Flemish village, a league from Antwerp, set amidst flat breadths of pasture and cornland with long lines of poplars and of alders bending in the breeze on the edge of the great canal which ran through it. It had about a score of houses and homesteads, with shutters of bright green or sky blue, and roofs rose-red or black and white, and walls whitewashed until they shone in the sun like snow. In the centre of the village stood a windmill, placed on a little moss-grown slope, it was a landmark to all the level country round. It had once been painted scarlet, sails and all, but that had been in its infancy, half a century or more earlier, when it had ground wheat for the soldiers of Napoleon, and was now a ruddy brown, tanned by wind and weather. It went queerly by fits and starts, as though rheumatic and stiff in the jointsome age, but it served the whole neighbourhood, "'which would afford it almost as impious to carry grain elsewhere "'as to attend any other religious service than the mass "'that was performed at the altar of the little old grey church, "'with its conical steeple, it stood opposite to it, "'and whose single bell rang morning, noon, and night, "'with that strange subdued hollow sadness, "'which every bell that hangs in the low country "'seems to gain as an integral part of its melody. "'Within sound of the little melancholy clock,' Almost from their birth upward they had dwelt together, Neno and Patricia, in the little hut on the edge of the village, with the cathedral spy of Antwerp rising in the northeast, beyond the great green plain of seeding grass and spreading corn that stretched away from them like a tideless, changeless sea. It was the hut of a very old man, of a very poor man, of old Jehan Das, who in his time had been a soldier, and who remembered the wars that had trampled the country as oxen tread down the furrows, and who had brought from his service nothing except a wound, which had made him a cripple. When old Jehan Das had reached his full eighty, his daughter had died in the Ardenas, hard by Stavelot, and had left him in legacy her two-year-old son. The old man could ill contrive to support himself, he took up the additional burden uncomplainably, and it soon became welcome and precious to him. Little Nello, which was but a pet diminutive for Nicholas, frove with him, and the old man and the little child lived in the poor little hut contentedly. It was a very humble little mud hut indeed, but it was clean and white as a seashell, and stood in a small plot of garden ground that yielded beans and herbs and pumpkins. They were very poor, terribly poor, many a day they had nothing at all to eat, they never by any chance had enough, to have had enough to eat would have been to have reached paradise at once. But the old man was very gentle and good to the boy, and the boy was a beautiful, innocent, truthful, tender-natured creature, and they were happy on a crust and a few leaves of cabbage, and asked no more of earth or heaven. Save, indeed, that Patrotecia should be always with them. Since without Patrotecia, where would they have been? Patrotecia was their Alpha and Omega, their treasury and granary, their store of gold and wand of wealth, their breadwinner and minister, their only friend and comforter. Patrotecia, dead or gone from them, they must have laid themselves down and died likewise. Patrotecia was body, brains, hands, head and feet to both of them. Patricia was their very life, their very soul. For Jehan Das was old and a cripple, Anello was but a child, and Patricia was their dog. A dog of Flanders, yellow of hide, large of head and limb, with wolf-like ears that stood erect, and legs bowed and feet widened in the muscular development wrought in his breed, by many generations of hard surface. Patrottiche came of a race which had toiled hard and cruelly from sire to son in Flanders many a century. Slaves of slaves, dogs of the people, beasts of the shafts and the harness, creatures that lit straining their sinews in the gall of the cart, and died breaking their hearts in the flints of the streets. Patrottiche had been born of parents who had laboured hard all their days, over the sharp-set stones of the various cities, and the long, shadowless, weary roads of the two Flanders and of Brabant. He had been born to no other heritage than those of pain and of toil. He had been fed on curses and baptised with blows. Why not? It was a civilised country, and Patritige was but a dog. Before he was fully grown, he had known the bitter gall of the cart and the collar, before he had entered his thirteenth month, he had become the property of a hardware dealer who was accustomed to wander over the land north and south, from the Blue Sea to the Green Mountains. They sold him for a small price because he was so young. This man was a drunkard and a brute. The life of Patricia was a life of hell. To deal with the tortures of hell on the animal creation is a way which too many people have of showing their belief in it. His purchaser was a sullen ill-living, brutal Brabantius who heaped his cart full with pots and pans and flagons and buckets and other wares of crockery and brass and tin and left Patrottische to draw the load as best as he might while he himself lounged idly by the side in fat and sluggish ease smoking his black pipe and stopping at every wine shop or cafe on the road happily for Patrottische or unhappily he was very strong. He came of an iron race, long born and bred to such cruel travail, so that he did not die, but managed to drag on a wretched existence under the brutal burdens, the scarifying lashes, the hunger, the thirst, the blows, the curses, and the exhaustion which are the only wages with which the Flemings repay the most patient and laborious of all their four-footed victims. One day, after two years of this long and deadly agony, Patricius was going on as usual along one of the straight, dusty, unlovely roads that lead to the city of Rubens. It was full midsummer and very warm. His cart was very heavy, piled high with goods in metal and in earthenware. His owner sauntered on without noticing him otherwise than by the crack of the whip as it curled around his quivering loins. The Berbontius had paused to drink beer himself at every wayside house, but he had forbidden Paratricia to stop a moment for a draught from the canal. Going along thus in the full sun on a scorching highway, having eaten nothing for twenty-four hours, which was far worse to him, not having tasted water for nearly twelve, being blind with dust, sore with blows, and stupefied with the merciless weight which dragged upon his loins. Patrotecia for once staggered and foamed a little at the mouth, and fell. He fell in the middle of the white dusty road, in the full glare of the sun. He was sick unto death and motionless. His master gave him the only medicine in his pharmacy, Kicks and oaths and blows of a cudgel of oak, which had been often the only food and drink, the only wage and reward ever offered to him, but Patreicia was beyond the reach of any torture or of any curses. Paticia lay dead to all appearances down in the white powder of the summer dust, after a while, finding it useless to assail his ribs with punishment and his ears with maledictions. The Brabontius, deeming life gone in him, or going so nearly that his carcass was forever useless, unless, indeed, someone should strip it of the skin for gloves, cursed him fiercely in farewell, struck off the leavened burns of the harness, kicked his body heavily aside into the grass, and groaning and muttering in savage wrath, pushed the cart lazily along the road uphill, and left the dying dog there for the ants to sting, and for the crows to pick. It was the last day before Kermise away at Lothane, and the Barbontius was in a haste to reach the fair, and get a good place for his truck of brass wares. He was in fierce wrath, because Patrotecia had been a strong and much enduring animal, and because he himself had now the hard task of pushing his charrette all the way to Lothane, but to stay to look after Patratiusha never entered his thoughts. The beast was dying and useless, and he would steal to replace him the first large dog that he found wandering alone out of sight of its master. Patratiusha had cost him nothing, or next to nothing, and for two long cruel years he had made him toil ceaselessly in his service from sunrise to sunset, through summer and winter, in fair weather and foul. He had got a fair use and a good profit out of Patritish. Being human, he was wise, and left the dog to draw his last breath alone in the ditch, and have his bloodshot eyes plucked out as they may be by the birds, while he himself went on his way to beg and to steal, to eat and to drink and to dance and to sing in the mirth at loathing. A dying dog, a dog of the cart, why should he waste hours? Over his agonies, at peril of losing a handful of copper coins, at peril of a shout of laughter, Patricia lay there, flung in the grass green ditch. It was a busy road that day, and hundreds of people on foot and on mules, in wagons or in carts, went by, tramping quickly and joyously on to Lovain. Some saw him, most did not even look, all passed on. A dead dog, more or less. It was nothing in Brabant, it would be nothing anywhere in the world. After a time amongst the holiday-makers, there came a little old man who was bent and lame and very feeble. He was in no guise for feasting. He was very poorly and miserably clad, and he dragged his silent way slowly through the dust amongst the pleasure-seekers. He looked at Patrotecia, paused, wondered, turned aside, then kneeled down in the rank grass and weeds of the ditch, and surveyed the dog with kindly eyes of pity. There was with him a little rosy, fair-haired, dark-eyed child of a few years old, who pattered in amidst the bushes, that were for him breast high, and stood gazing with a pretty seriousness upon the poor, great, quiet beast. Thus it was that these two first met, the little Nello. And a big patriotisha. The upshot of that day was that old Jehan Das, with much laborious effort, drew the sufferer homeward to his own little hut, which was a stone's throw off amidst the fields, and there tended him with so much care that the sickness, which had been a brain seizure brought on by heat and thirst and exhaustion, with time and shade and rest, passed away, and health and strength returned and Patrotecia staggered up again upon his four stout, tawny legs. Now for many weeks he had been useless, powerless, sore, near to death, but all this time he had heard no rough word, had felt no harsh touch, but only the pitying murmurs of the little child's voice, and the soothing caress of the old man's hand. In his sickness they too had grown to care for him, this lonely old man and the little happy child. He had a corner of the hut with a heap of dry grass for his bed, and they had learned to listen eagerly for his breathing in the dark night, to tell them that he lived. And when he first was well enough to assay a loud, hollow, broken bay, they laughed aloud, and almost wept together for joy at such a sign of his sure restoration. And little Nello, in delighted glee, hung around his rugged neck with chains of margaretas, and kissed him with fresh and ruddy lips. So then, when Patrotecia arose, himself again strong, big, gaunt, powerful, his great wistful eyes had a gentle astonishment in them, that there were no curses to rouse him, and no blows to drive him, and his heart awakened to a mighty love, which never wavered once in its fidelity, whilst life abode with him. But Patrotecia, being a dog, was grateful. Patrotecia lay pondering long with grave, tender, musing brown eyes, watching the movements of his friends. Now the old soldier, Jehan Das, could do nothing for his living, but limp about a little with a small cart, with which he carried daily the milk cans of those happier neighbours, who owned cattle away into the town of Antwerp, Villagers gave him the employment a little out of charity, more because it suited them well to send their milk into the town by so honest a carrier, and bind at home themselves to look after their gardens, their cows, their poultry or their little fields. But it was becoming hard work for the old man. He was eighty-three, and Antwerp was a good league off or more. Patrick watched the milk cans come and go that one day when he had got well, and was lying in the sun with a wreath of margarettas round his tawny neck. The next morning, Patricia, before the old man had touched the cart, arose and walked to it and placed himself betwixt its handles, and testified as plainly as dumb show could do his desire and his ability to work in return for the bread of charity that he had eaten. Jehan Das resisted long. For well, the old man was one of those who thought it a foul shame to bind dogs to labour, for which nature never formed them, but Patatesia would not be gainsaid. Finding they did not harness him, he tried to draw the cart onward of his teeth. At length, Shehan Das gave way, vanquished by the persistence and the gratitude of this creature whom he had succoured. He fashioned his cart so that Patatesia could run in it, and this he did every morning of his life thenceforward. When the winter came, Sheehan Das thanked the blessed fortune that had brought him to the dying dog in the ditch that fair day of Lothain. For he was very old, and he grew feebler with each year, and he would ill have known how to pull his load of milk cans over the snows and through the deep ruts in the mud if it had not been for the strength and the industry of the animal he had befriended. As for Patrati, It seemed heaven to him, after the frightful burdens that his old master had compelled him to strain under, and the call of the whip at every step. It seemed nothing to him but amusement to step out with his little light green cart, with bright brass cans, by the side of the gentle old man, who always paid him with a tender caress and with a kindly word. Besides, his work was over by three or four in the day, and after that time he was free to do as he would, Stretch himself to sleep in the sun, to wander in the fields, to romp with a young child, or to play with his fellow dog. Patricia was very happy. Fortunately for his peace, his former owner was killed in a drunken brawl at the Kamesi of Mechlin, and so sought not after him, nor disturbed him in his new and well-loved home. A few years later, old Jehan Das had always been a cripple, became so paralysed with rheumatism that it was impossible for him to go out with the cart any more. Then little Nello, being now grown to his sixth year of age and knowing the town well from having accompanied his grandfather so many times, took his place beside the cart and sold the milk and received the coins in exchange and brought them back to their respective owners of a pretty grace and seriousness which charmed all who beheld him. The little Adrenios was a beautiful child, with dark, grave, tender eyes, a lovely bloom upon his face, and fair locks that clustered to his throat. A million artists sketched the group as it went by him. The green cart with the blast flagons of Teniers, the Myras and Van Tal, and the great tawny-coloured massive dog, with his bellied harness that chimed cheerily as he went, and a small figure that ran beside him, which had little white feet in great wooden shoes, and a soft, grave, innocent, happy face, like the fair children of Rubens. Nello and Paratisha did the work so well, and so joyfully together, that Jehan dars himself when the summer came and he was better again, had no need to stir out, because sit in the doorway in the sun, and see them go forth through the garden wicket, and then doze and dream and pray a little, and then awake again as the clock toiled free, and watch for their return. And on their return, Paratisha would shake himself free of his harness, for bay of glee, and Nello would recount with pride the doings of the day, and they would go in together to their meal of rye bread and milk, or soup, and would see the shadows lengthen over the great plain, and see the twilight veil the fair cathedral spire, and they lie down together to sleep peaceably while the old man said a prayer. So the days and the years went on, and the lives of Nello and Patricia were happy, innocent, and healthful. In the spring and summer, especially, were they glad. Flanders is not a lovely land, and round the Bur of Rubens it is perhaps least lovely of all, corn and colza, pasture and plough, succeed each other on the countless plain in wearying repetition, and save by some gaunt grey tower, with its peal of prophetic bells, or some figure coming athwart the fields, made picturesque by a gleaner's bundle, a woodman's faggot, there is no change, no variety, no beauty anywhere and he who has dwelt upon the mountains or amidst the forests feels oppressed as by imprisonment with the tedium and the endlessness of that vast and dreary land. But it it is green and very fertile, and it has wide horizons that have a certain charm of their own, even in their dullness and monotony, and amongst the rushes by the waterside the flowers grow, and the trees rise tall and fresh where the barges glide of their great hulks black against the sun, and their little grain barrels and very carried flags gay against the leaves. Anyway, there is greenery and breadth of space enough to be as good a beauty to a child and a dog, and these two asked no better when their work was done than to lie buried in the lush grasses on the side of the canal and watch the cumbrous vessels drifting by and bringing the crisp salt-smell of the sea amongst the blossoming scents of the country-summer. True, in the winter it was harder, and they had to rise in the darkness and the bitter cold, and they had sold them as much as they could have eaten any day, and the hut was scarce better than a shed when the nights were cold, though it looked so pretty in warm weather, buried in a great kindly clambering vine that never bore fruit, indeed but which covered it with luxuriant green tracery all through the months of blossom and harvest. In winter the winds found many holes in the walls of the poor little hut, and the vine was black and leafless, and the bare lands looked very bleak and drear without, and sometimes within the floor was flooded and then frozen. In winter it was hard, and the snow numbed the little white limbs of Nello, and the icicles cut the brave and tiring feet of Paratricia. But even then they were never heard to lament either of them. The child's wooden shoes and the dog's four lengths would trot manfully together over the frozen fields to the chime of the bells and the harness, and then sometimes, in the streets of Antwerp, some housewife would bring them a bowl of soup and a handful of bread. Or some kindly trader would throw some billets of fuel into the little cart as it went homeward. Or some woman in their own village would bid them keep some share of the milk they carried for their own food. And then they would run over the white lands, through the early darkness, bright and happy, and burst with a shout of joy into their home. So, on the whole, it was well with them, very well. And Atisha, meeting on the highway, or in the public streets the many dogs who toiled from daybreak into nightfall, paid only with blows and curses, and loosened from the shafts of a kick to starve and freeze as best they might. Patricius, in his heart was very grateful to his fate, and thought it the fairest and the kindliest the world could hold, though he was often very hungry indeed when he lay down at night, though he had to work in the heats of summer noons, and of rasping chills of winter dawns, though his feet were often tender with wounds from the sharp edges of the jagged pavement, though he had to perform tasks beyond his nature and against his nature. Yet he was grateful and content. He did his duty of each day, and the eyes that he loved smiled down on him. It was sufficient for Tisha. There was only one thing which caused Paratisha any uneasiness in his life, and it was this. Antwerp, as all the world knows, is full at every turn of old piles of stones, dark and ancient and majestic, standing in crooked courts, jammed against gateways and taverns, rising by the water's edge, with bells ringing above them in the air, and ever and again out of their arched doors a swell of music pealing. There they remain, the grand old sanctuaries of the past, shot in amidst the squalor, the hurry, the crowds, the unloveliness, and the commerce of the modern world. And all day long the clouds drift, and the birds circle, and the winds sigh round them, and beneath the earth at their feet, their sleeps, Rubens. And the greatness of the mighty Master still rests upon Antwerp, and wherever we turn in its narrow streets, his glory lies therein, so that all mean things are thereby transfigured, and as we pace slowly through the winding ways, and by the edge of the stagnant water, and through the noisome courts, and the heroic beauty of his visions is about us, and the stones that once felt his footsteps, and bore his shadow, seem to arise and speak of him with living voices, but the city, which is the tomb of Rubens, still lives to us through him and him alone. It is so quiet there by that great white sepulchre, so quiet, save only when the organ peals and the choir cries aloud the Salve Regina, or the Kyrie Eleison. Sure, no artist ever had a greater gravestone than that pure marble sanctuary gives to him in the heart of his birthplace, in the chancel of Saint Jacques. Without Rubens. What were Antwerp, a dirty, dusky, bustling mart which no man would ever care to look upon save the traders who do business on its waves. With Rubens, to the whole world of men it is a sacred name, a sacred soil, a Bethlehem where a god of art saw light, a Golgotha where a god of art lies dead. O nations, closely should you treasure your great men, for thy them alone with the future know of you. Flanders in her generations has been wise. In his life she glorified this greatest of her sons, and in his death she magnifies his name. But her wisdom is very rare. Now the trouble of Paratisha was this. Into these great sad piles of stones that reared their melancholy majesty above the crowded roofs, the child Nello would many and many a time enter and disappear through their dark, arched portals, whilst Paratisha, left without upon the pavement, would wearily and vainly ponder on what could be the charm which thus allured from him his inseparable and beloved companion. Once or twice he did essay to see for himself, clattering up the steps of his milk cart behind him but thereon he had been always sent back again summarily by a tall custodian in black clothes and silver chains of office, and fearful of bringing his little master into trouble, he desisted and remained couched patiently before the churches until such time as the boy reappeared. It was not the fact of his going into them which disturbed Paratisha. He knew that people went to church, Or the village went to the small, tumble-down grey pile opposite the red windmill. What troubled him was that little Nello always looked strangely when he came out, always very flushed or very pale. Whenever he returned home after such visitations would sit silent and dreaming, not caring to play, but gazing out at the evening skies beyond the line of the canal, very subdued and almost sad. What was it? wondered patricia He thought it could not be good or natural for the little lad to be so grave. And in his dumb fashion, he tried all he could to keep Nello by him in the sunny fields or in the busy marketplace. But to the churches Nello would go. Most often of all, would he go to the great cathedral. And Paratisha, left without on the stones by the iron fragments of Quentin Marcy's grate, would stretch himself and yawn, and sigh, and even howl now and then, all in vain, until the doors closed, and the child perforce came forth again, and winding his arms about the dog's neck, would kiss him on his broad, tawny-coloured forehead, and murmur always the same words, If I could only see them, Paratricia, if I could only see them. What were they? pondered Paratisha, looking up with large, wistful, sympathetic eyes. One day, when the custodian was out of the way and the doors left ajar, he got in for a moment after his little friend and saw. They were two great covered pictures on either side of the choir. Nello was kneeling, wrapped as in an ecstasy, before the altar picture of the Assumption. When he noticed Paratisha, and rose and drew the dog gently out into the air. His face was wet with tears. He looked up at the veiled places as he passed them, and murmured to his companion, It is so terrible not to see them. Paratisha just because one is poor and cannot pay. He never meant that the poor should not see them when he pointed them, I am sure. He would have had us see them any day, every day, that I am sure and I keep them shrouded there, shrouded in the dark, the beautiful things, and they never feel the light, and no eyes look on them unless rich people come and pay. If I could only see them, I would be content to die. But he could not see them, and Patricia could not help him, for to gain the silver piece that the church exacts as the price for looking on the glories of the elevation of the cross, and the descent from the cross was a thing as utterly beyond the powers of either of them as it would have been to scale the heights of the cathedral spire. They had never so much as a sow to spare. If they cleared enough to get a little wood for the stove, a little broth for the pot, it was the utmost they could do. And yet the heart of the child was set in sore, an endless longing upon beholding the greatness of the two veiled rubens. The whole soul of the little Adroninus, Thrilled and stirred of an absorbing passion for art, going on his ways through the old city in the early days before the sun or the people had risen. Nello, who looked only a little peasant boy, a great dog drawing milk to sell from door to door, was in a heaven of dreams whereof Rubens was the guard. Nello, cold and hungry, with stockingless feet in wooden shoes, and the winter winds blowing amongst his curls, Lifting his poor thin garments, was in a rapture of meditation, wherein all that he saw was the beautiful fair face of the Mary the Assumption, with the waves of her golden hair lying upon her shoulders, and the light of an eternal sun shining down upon her brow. Nello, reared in poverty and buffeted by fortune, and untaught in letters, and unheeded by men, at the compensation of the curse which is called genius. No one knew it, he as little as any, no one knew it, only indeed Paratisha, who, being with him always, saw him draw with chalk upon the stones any and everything that grew or breathed, heard him on his little bed of hay murmur all manner of timid, pathetic prayers for the spirit of the great master, watched his gaze darken and his face radiate at the evening glow of sunset or the rosy rising of the dawn. I felt many and many a time the tears of strange nameless pain and joy mingled together fall hotly from the bright young eyes upon his own wrinkled yellow forehead. I should go to my grave quite content if I fought Nello, that when thou growest a man, thou couldst own this hut and this little plot of ground and labor for thyself and be called base by thy neighbors, said the old man had many an hour from his bed to own a bit of soil and be called base, master, by the hamlet round, is to have achieved the highest ideal of a Flemish pleasant, and the old soldier who had wandered over all the earth in his youth and had brought nothing back, deemed in his old age that to live and die on one spot in contented humility was the fairest fate he could desire for his darling. But Nello said nothing. The same leaven was working in him that in other times begat Rubens the Jordanes and the Van Eykes, and all their wondrous tribe, in times more recent begat in the green country of the Ardanes, where the muse washes the old walls of Dijon, the great artist of the Patrocollis, whose genius is too near us for us a right to measure its divinity. Yellow, dreamed of other things in the future than of tilling the little root of earth and living under the wattle roof, and being called base by neighbours a little poorer or a little less poor than himself, the cathedral spire, where it rose beyond the fields in the ruddy evening skies or in the dim, grey, misty mornings, said other things to him than this. But these he told only to Patricia, whispering, childlike, his fancies in the dog's ear when they went together at their work through the fogs of the daybreak were laid together at their rest amongst the rustling rushes by the water's side, for such dreams are not easily shaped into speech to awake the slow sympathies of human auditors. They would only have sorely perplexed and troubled the poor old man bedridden in his corner, who for his part, whenever he had trodden the streets of Antwerp, had fought the daub of blue and red that they called a Madonna on the walls of the wine-shop where he drank his sow's worth of black beer, quite as good as any of the famous altarpieces for which the stranger folk travelled far and wide into Flanders, from every land on which the good sun shone. End of section 3